Uh, we're in a series uh, in John's Gospel, and we are uh, talking about the truth of John's Gospel. And last week was a, a really challenging story, not so much at the end, because Lazarus was raised from the dead. And we're in John chapter uh, 11 and John chapter 12 uh, this morning. But he was raised from the dead. And this is incredible the way that this took place. But we know that the journey in which Mary and Martha went through was a tough one and was a hard one. Where is Jesus? If only you'd been here and turned up earlier, this would not have happened. Does Jesus Christ really care? Often the delays that we face are delays because God is doing something profound within our lives. The delays that we face are to strengthen us, to build our faith, to make us strong. But when we're down on ground level, it is hard. It's hard, isn't it? To grasp the vastness of God. It's hard to grasp And understand where is God in this problem. It's hard to be able to really see where God's plan is in this. And yet in the middle of that, um, Martha was able to make those statements. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah. In the middle of the pain, in the middle of the darkness, she was able to utter those words and say, I believe that. And we learn from that lesson that delays are often there to be with us in our faith journey. We learn from that lesson that it's okay to be honest with God when we wonder what on earth is going on and we like, if only you were here, what are you doing? Do you not care? And we learned that when we weep, Jesus weeps. Do you remember that moment when it says, he shuddered? He shuddered deep down within him. And the Greek word, of course, is like a horse. When a horse has a naze, it is the the image that there's an internal earthquake of a whole body that is shaking. And he shook as he saw the pain of the sisters. And when we weep, he weeps. When his... Our face is wet with tears. His face is wet with tears. The compassion and the love of Christ. And we live in this world. We say, Lord, how on earth can we, um, how on earth, God, can we cope? What plan have you got? What are you doing? What are the way that you are working? And of course, we know the end of the story where Lazarus is risen from the grave. And we know the end of our story in Revelations 21, verse 4. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more sickness. The old order has gone. The new order has come. That's what it teaches us. And very often we live in this, Lord, I can't see it, but we, we find eternity something hard to grasp. Of course we do. And yet we know that the old order, this is this order you and I are living in, with sickness and death and pain and difficulty, one day this old order will be eradicated and the glory of God and the new order will come. And that is the, the, the hope of our faith, that one exists in our lives and we understand I was in Vancouver the last couple of days. I was there for an executive board meeting of the MBs. And I was also there to catch up with a friend. I took Michelle. And um, I had some friends from England who were coming through. So we linked with them. And I was thinking about this whole, how is it all going to seem? 
I was thinking about Lazarus. I was thinking about last week's sermon. We went to something called Fly Over Canada. I don't know if you've ever been to it. Probably not. uh, Because it's too expensive usually to fly over Canada. But... um, but this is a, a kind of, you go into a cinema area, and it's like an uh, uh, IMAX, but on the floor, on the ceiling, all around, and you are strapped in. It's like a ride, and then you go forward, and then you fly from Newfoundland all the way to Vancouver. It's amazing. I have an Australian friend that has been on it six times. <laughs> Loves it so much. The wind blows, they have special effects where you smell the atmosphere, you start off down there in Newfoundland, PEI and, and, and Halifax, and you go over and you see floating, glorious floating uh, icebergs, and then you go over Ontario and you see trees, and, <laughs> but glorious lakes and pictures. And, 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 of course, it's filmed in autumn there because that's the most beautiful time. And then you come over out of Ontario, suddenly onto the prairies. And you see, if they fly over horses that are racing and cowboys and hey, and it's, it's amazing. You feel like you can almost touch them. And then the prairies is over and you get the best bit. And, and you come to the mountains. Glorious. I did whisper to Michelle, I do love the prairies, as we were there flying over the prairies. And then you come over, over the Rocky Mountains, and you come over a beautiful spot, and, and then actually you come down over the Okanagan. And we were there waving at the plane. <laughs> and then you come onto Vancouver, the great city, and, and up into the sky. It's amazing. All in 15 minutes for $30. Incredible. Something like that. Worth it. In 15 minutes, I got a picture of Canada that I'd never experienced before in my life. From one end to the other. When you see Jesus face to face in an instant, you will understand the great story of God for you and for your life. It'd be like a flyover. Be like a moment when in multicolor, sensory, spiritual experience, you will understand the purposes and the reasons and why God has done and worked this way. You will see. And I think there in the story of Lazarus, we experience that great flyover where we understand that suddenly things become clear that were not clear. And this is what God will do in eternity. He will make things clear that are unclear. But back down on earth... Verse 43 of chapter 11, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting together. Religious people always need a meeting. They get together. What are we going to do? Cephas is there. 
He is the high priest. He's been the high priest for 16 years. He is a smooth politician. He has survived. Not only this, he is really ticked off. Why is he ticked off? Because he's a Sadducee. And Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. So the fact that Lazarus has been raised from the dead is a severe problem to his theological and and understanding. He is really not very pleased with what's happening. And there's a riot emotionally going on because of Lazarus' resurrection. The religious establishment is being shaken. Things are taking place. I mean, this wasn't just a normal resurrection as in in like uh, a near-death experience like you see on Grey's Anatomy or something. You know, it's not like suddenly he was lying there and, and people are around him and he sees a bright light. I mean, and then, have you ever watched Grey's Anatomy? don't. Um, my daughters watch it and I come in and say, why are you all crying? <laughs> Who's died? I don't know. And it's not like that. He is decaying. He is four days. He is smelling. It is putrid. And yet Jesus and his divinity raises Lazarus from the grave. Wow. And Cephas is not pleased. But in the middle of this, like Balaam's donkey, Cephas gets long ears and God prophesies through him. And he says, the plan is we're going to kill Jesus and for one man, he's going to save the whole nation. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Cephas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Little did he know that he was prophesying that one man would die for the whole nation and he would redeem the whole nation. That one man would die for the world and would redeem the whole world. And 2,000 years later, you and I are celebrating the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that we are saved and that we are set free. At that moment, he prophesied that. Like, like Balaam's ass. is a donkey saying such truth at that moment. And so the plan begins like we're going to assassinate Jesus. This is it. We're going to get the sniper in the right place. We're going to get the right grassy knoll. Wherever that grassy knoll may be. A place called Calvary. And we're going to take him out. We're going to get rid of him. Meanwhile... There's a dinner going on. And six days before the Passover, Jesus came, verse 1 of chapter 12, to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, who Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. They reckon theologically that there's 17 people here. There's all the disciples sat round. There's Peter sat around there, you know, picking his teeth and the fishermen. You've got, um, you've got Andrew there chatting away. You've got James, 
there, you know, sat there with his wisdom, uh, uh, amazing. Then, of course, you've got Philip, he is awesome. Uh, you've got Matthew, you've got Bartholomew, oh, you got that. And, and you've got John, and then you've got, of course, Thomas, doubting everything. Is the meal going to be okay for me? And, and then you've got Jude, and, and, and of course... Uh, you've got James the Lesser, and then, then around there you've got uh, Simon, and of course Judas. They're all sat there, so that was 12. And then you have Jesus, then you have Lazarus, and then you have Mary and Martha. Martha is making the meal. She is, she is making wonderful food. She's probably prepared it all day long. She's worked with it. She's brought beautiful herbs and different things. And she brings this to the table in the most wonderful way. And there they're telling stories. There's, it's at Simon, we know this from Matthew, that he's in Simon the leper's house. So he's probably telling stories about how he was once a leper. And yet Jesus has completely cleansed him and freed him. And then there's a story, um, then Lazarus can top that story. Oh, you had leprosy. I was dead. I was dead. Four days. What a stink. Leprosy is nothing. And you can imagine them all laughing and Martha running around and bringing the food. And and it was a glorious moment. But let me think for a moment about Martha. Because Martha's been through such a difficult time. And yet right here, again, we find her serving because she brings what she does the very best to the Lord. And what she does the very best for the Lord, she brings food. She serves others. She comes. And I want to remind you that Martha, I want to remind you that Martha is a a picture that we can bring the very best to the Lord. That if we are, are cooking, we can bring the best to the Lord. If we are serving in work or management, we can bring the best of the Lord. That we can use our activities in the home and in work and in life and what we do. These activities are not just activities. They are worship to our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. Everything we do is worship to God. And we know Martha got a bit of a a difficult time when Jesus rebuked her because she was running around and moaning about Mary because Mary was at the feet of Jesus and said, Mary, Mary, you know, this this isn't right. And often preachers will preach, you know, you have to be at the feet of Jesus not being busy. One theologian I read said this. He said it wasn't so much that Jesus was bothered about her busyness because obviously she's busy here. It's about the attitude that she was carrying. And for some of us, you may find that freeing. Because actually, you know, our attitude towards our daily tasks and towards the way we work and towards the way that we engage, our attitude towards natural things should be of an act of worship. When you go to work tomorrow, you're going to a place where you are worshipping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When you engage in your business world, you engage in your house, you engage in your family, you engage in your beautiful children, you engage in all these areas, that very activity where God has placed you is a fragrance, is a worship to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. And we can know that. And Martha is doing this. It's like, 
Catherine Booth, the great Salvation Army evangelist, ran a home and preached throughout London to the poor and the needy. I mean, she could preach and she would dangle you over hell and bring you back again. And then she'd attend to the children. And her son wrote her biography and said, wherever she was, she did it as a worship to the Lord. Wherever you are, do it as a worship to the Lord. Tomorrow is worship to the Lord. But then a moment happens where Mary steps forward, probably influenced by the events of a prostitute that did the same when Jesus was dishonored because they did not wash his feet. She brought out perfume, and as she brought out this perfume, this pint, Worth, they say, what, $10,000 with all of the... And she broke it open, and there at the table, she poured it over Jesus's. And Mary, verse 3, Mary took about the pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance. Of perfume. After all they've been through, after all that they faced, after all that they've gone through, here was Mary bringing her sacrifice to the Lord. And the first thing I want you to notice about this sacrifice is that this sacrifice was costly. And you know, when we come to Jesus, and we worship him, there is a cost always connected to worshiping Jesus. It was, it was a costly venture. She was taking, as we know from Judas later on in the verses, that this was, this was an expensive moment of cost. It cost her something to do this. And I think often we don't realize that when we are true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it costs us all something. It cost her this, this wealth, this money, this perfume, this riches, this treasure that she had. But this treasure was nothing compared to the treasure that she has in the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing attitude she carried. Her attitude was actually the greatest, most treasured thing in my life is Jesus Christ the Saviour. Jesus is the one who is the most treasured, the one I love. It doesn't, and often commentators write, oh, she must have, you know, she brought this, what a sacrifice, what a, what a hardship. She must have perhaps agonized over bringing it to Jesus, agonized over the difficulty, agonized. I don't, you know, the more I fall in love with Jesus, I just want to give Jesus more and more. It no longer becomes super costly because I have received the pearl of great price. I have received a treasure beyond treasures. I have received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And you know, I want to bring my wealth. I want to bring my life. I want to bring my gifts. I want to bring who I am. And I want to crack it open at the feet of Jesus and say, I want to live for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is true worship. She breaks it open. 
a costly act. You know, true worship is costly. Costly. Then, I find it interesting that you've got Martha preparing a massive meal for 17 people, which is not easy. I mean, they didn't have like microwaves and ovens and blenders and steam and all that we have. Well, they had steam, but I don't know why I said steam. You know, <laughs> obviously I'm not very good in the kitchen. Um, I was thinking of that, you know, when you steam vegetables, it's shut up, Phil. So... <laughs> She had to work hard, and I was thinking about this, that Mary bought perfume, Martha bought perspiration, if you like. She worked hard. But whatever you bring to Jesus, do it with all of your heart. Whether you are one to bring costly things and break it open so that that God's kingdom can spread, or whether you're one that can volunteer and work hard and move hard and, and, and give everything of who you are. Whatever you have, whatever your gifting is, whatever God has for you, will you break it open and leave it at the feet of Jesus? For some of us and some of you that God has given gifts and callings and ministries and you know how God has used you in life and yet these days you're locking the treasures away but it's time to bring out the perfume and break it at the feet of Jesus and say, I want to live for Jesus again 100%. I am sick of being half-hearted. I am sick of living in a kind of dullness about my Christian faith. It's time. I know it costs. But actually what I'm going to do is bring the best gifts of my life and I'm going to present the best gifts to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to give him the half gift. I'm going to bring him the very best gift of my life. So it costs something for Mary. The perfume brought the very best gift that she had in the house. The very best gift. And then she does something. She takes her hair and she lets it hang down. Which I imagine watching this feels very uncomfortable. And she takes her long hair and she starts to wipe his feet with her hair. In the ancient world, hair was a woman's glory, as you probably know. Hair was what attracted people. Hair, the hair was a woman, something to be proud of. It was something that was glorious. It was something that was marvelous. It's incredible. And yet she takes the glory of her, her womanhood, the glory of who she is, and she presents and she wipes her glory at Jesus' feet. I wonder whether there are areas of your life and my life where we live for our glory, for our success, our selfishness, my personal fame, your success and celebrity, I don't know, your internal glory. And what we need to do is take all of our ego, all of our security, and we need to take our glory and say we place it at the feet of Jesus. I know you're 
massively intelligent. I know you're incredibly successful. I know that you have amazed many, perhaps. I know that sometimes there is a glory in your life. And, that, and being around Willow Park, so many of you are so gifted and are so accomplished and so talented and so amazing in your stories. And yet all that glory, take it and put it at the feet of Jesus. All of that success, all of what you possess, and wipe it, if you like, metaphorically on the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I give everything. Jesus, I give you my best gifts. Jesus, I give you my glory. And she gets up. Now imagine she gets up and she starts to walk around the house. Her hair is now full of perfume. And suddenly the house in Bethany, as she, as she moves her head and walks around the house, what's going to happen with Mary? Everywhere she goes from this point on, there's a perfume that fills the air. a perfume, a glorious smell, a glorious moment. You know, it's like one of those, I don't know, I was thinking it's like one of those old hairspray adverts from the 70s when she's spraying, shaking it, it'll all go everywhere. I remember my mum doing it and then doing that and choking me. Mom, <laughs> she long, glorious blonde hair. It was a glory, and she'd get all dressed up, and, and she was ready to kill. She'd walk downstairs, literally my dad. And, <laughs> but she has been, she's taken all that she has, all of her wealth, all of her gifting, all of her ability, all of her character, all of who she is. She's cracked it open before the feet of Jesus. She's wiped her glory in the, in the scent and the perfume on his feet. She stood up and she carries on through life. And when she turns, the fragrance of the glory of Jesus and the kingdom of God is all about her. Is that amazing picture of who we should be? That when we've been at the feet of Jesus, we get up and we are so touched the presence of God and the closeness through his redemption that our fragrance is a fragrance of perfume that, that causes people to notice the love and the faith and the love of Jesus. Wherever you go this week, whether it's a hospital appointment, whether it's a family event, whether it's back into the office or into the factory, wherever you go, may the fragrance of Jesus go with you. May he take you so close. Of course, <laughs> verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, 
He used to help himself to what was put into it. Isn't it amazing how a religious spirit can pretend to be something it's not when really he's a thief? And right there, we can finish the story with two ways to live. We can live simply and beautifully like like Mary. We can take our cost of what we have and place it at the feast of Jesus. We can bring the best gifts like Martha brought her service and Mary brought her wealth and she brought it to the feet of Jesus and she worshipped and then she brought her glory, her ego, her standing, her status and she laid it at the feet of Jesus and she got up and she carried the glory of the presence of God around with her and the religious Judas looked on and said well that's not right is it the liar the deceiver the self-deception of religion of status who would you rather be in the story Who would you rather be? And often we can live on that edge of deceiving ourselves and selfishness and wrong motives. And yet when we touch the heart of Jesus, what I want, and I'm sure what you want, you want to have the heart of Mary. To give everything to her. To say yes. I give everything. I don't understand everything. But as for me, in the profound place of worship, which Josh was talking about really, trying to articulate well what I I guess was Mother Teresa's, that she got to such a place of the fragrance of God in her life that she was just breathing in the fragrance. And may we... Learn what it is to just connect and breathe in. So we're going to take communion. But the challenge of this message is this. What you do in life is worship. Romans 12.1 says, give your whole bodies as a living sacrifice. Lesson number two is that when we start to sacrifice to Jesus, it is a costly exercise But it doesn't feel costly because we just love him. I give him everything. Number three, bring your best gifts to Jesus. Whatever they are. Your skills in the kitchen or your ability to carry perfume. Your perfume or your perspiration. Bring it to Jesus. Lay down your ego and your glory. And when you do that, you'll find that your... The fragrance around you will change because the atmosphere is altered because you carry the presence of Christ. And wherever you go, he is with you. And let us all reject and avoid the heart of Judas who says the right thing but isn't at the feet of Jesus. That's a religious, destructive, lying spirit. And I want to be everything for Jesus. And so there was another meal that takes place this week. 
And Jesus, in the same manner, on the Thursday evening of that week, would take bread and he would break it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. That perfume bottle was broken open. Jesus was broken open to release salvation, eternal life, and a perfume to the world. The perfume ran over his feet, over his body, his legs. In the same way that later on, as he hung upon that cross, the blood of Christ would wash over his body onto the ground, but would one day for all of us cleanse us and make us pure and holy and forgiven. My friends, I've often thought, and I've meditated at length on these scriptures, I've often thought, when Jesus was at the most painful moment on the cross, maybe days later, for a moment, in the pain and the agony, maybe he got a little scent, a smell of some perfume that was on his legs. And at that moment, it reminded him of the most devoted woman at that moment. Wow. And on that cross, maybe he could, for a moment, become aware of a fragrance in the air of a devotion of Mary that laid everything at the feet of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we take the bread and the wine this morning, we lay everything at the feet of Jesus. And that's the exercise in prayer each one of us should do. Take what is costly. Take our gifts. Take our glory and lay it and break it open at the feet of Jesus and give our whole life over to him.